0: Right, guys welcome back to the final episode of season six six of the story podcast you just heard a voice in the background guys this is a special episode uh, as always i'm harris i'm here but i'm here with uh, a little section of our team you just heard angie's voice angie how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. How are you? You're not
0: close enough to the microphone. They want to hear you. I'm
1: doing great. How are you?
0: <laughs> we also have Casey with us. Casey, what's up?
2: Hello, everyone.
0: And, of course, my beautiful wife, Kate.
3: Hello, hello.
0: And she you can't see her, but trust me, she is very beautiful. Uh, this is an amazing team. Um, so excited about this. And I thought, you know, since it's our last episode of this season, I want to be clear. Some of you have been listening and you've been following the journey. You know that we are pausing the conference to take a year off to level up and reinvent and do some cool things we've been dreaming about for a long time. But it is not the end of the podcast. We have another amazing season headed your way. However, we are also leveling up the podcast itself. You're going to see some new stuff coming. I won't ruin all the surprises for you right now, but this is not the end. But it is the end of this season. And so we thought as we close out this season, let's do a special episode where we bring the team in, at least some of us. We do some highlights of what the last seven years have been like. And different uh, members of the team have been on the team for a variety of lengths. (laughs) I know, Casey, (laughs) what was your first year as story? Was that? Uh,
2: 2019.
0: 2019. Angie, this was your first official year being – present in the venue on stage, even though you've kind of been aware of what we're doing. And then, of course, I have been here all the years. All the years. Kate has been with us all seven years. Obviously, we've married for almost 20 years now. So it's crazy that she uh, has been along for the ride uh, for all seven years of story. Um, But very much looking forward to this episode just to kind of hear some like what have been some of the highlights over the last seven years of doing this experience, curating this event for so many storytellers all around the world and let's see where should we begin before we get into like favorite moments on stage, let's just talk about i don't want to I don't want to make this a selfish moment, but like, what story has kind of meant to us? Um, who who wants to go first? What has story kind of represented for you? What's the role that it has played, other than just you working on something and been another event? Why is it so meaningful to you?
1: I think because it's well, obviously, it's the most unique conference experience out there. And there is nothing else out there like story. And being someone that's been on the peripheral for the whole uh, seven years, except for this past year, it's been amazing to even be part of the community in that way and understand the the large um, breadth that this conference has um, and understanding how much story touches the story conference itself touches. It's not just about the conference. It's about the community and how many, how large the community is. It's a global community. Um, it's been amazing to be a part of that, and then to be able to experience it in the venue uh, this year for the first time. It's unlike anything else, and it's a, it's an energy, it's a feel, um, but though it's because of the people. It's what it's. That's what makes stories so special is the people.
0: Yeah. Shocker coming from Angie. <laughs>
1: yeah. I really love people. <laughs> yeah.
0: Andrew is Angie is like the most extroverted person on our team. She is our people person. So no surprise that yeah. community is so important to you. Casey, how about you? Why have you stuck around all these years?
2: Yeah. I think I've done a lot of conferences for a lot of different demographics and – this one is just unlike any other from the production level where I'm not going to talk about the people because I'm not a people person, <laughs> but from the production level and just the experience that you you get from opening of the doors to going into the auditorium to sitting under the teaching, I think it is unmatched to anything I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of some doozies of conferences, but this one is just so special from doors opening in the lobby all the way through the whole event, which is it—you don't, you can't find anything like that. I mean, where else can you go that a crocodile will just sit in the lobby the whole time? You can't, you know, you can't, you can't find it anywhere. You can to it <laughs> you yeah, can't so we've time.
0: got community people, experiences. Also, I—we I, can't let go that you just called it a doozy of a conference. Yes. I don't know that that's ever been written as a testimonial anywhere. We might have to steal yep. that. And use that. You're you. hard to hear, folks. The doozy of the conference. Um, this is the doozy of podcasts. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome babe how about you?
3: I'm trying to think I I think for me story was a launchpad into something really special after doing um, you know traveling and touring so many years with you um, and then you know we decide to take over story and we <laughs> start producing a conference um, the way that it opened up creativity the way that it opened up relationship. Um, and we got the ability to literally have an entire blank canvas to create and to dream and to challenge and to um, just put so much amazing stuff out there. And it wasn't just you know it's not just us. It's it's having the ability to bring in so many incredible people who are so good at what they do, and putting them in the room. Um, With other people who are so good at what they do and watching that be cultivated and watching it be um, watching it grow over the years was was really, really special. And it was special to be behind the scenes and helping have a very small part in making that happen.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you got a little behind the scenes take from our team. We tell you this all the time. You hear me say all the time, we'd love to hear from you. We're about to get into some highlights of these last seven years. You're going to hear some really cool moments. Some of you are familiar with these moments. Some of you... They, you will be familiar once you hear them. You're like, oh, man, I forgot about the experience of sitting in the audience when that person walked out on stage. So this is going to be cool for you. But we, I really would love to hear your highlights. And this is not like, a hey, feed our ego and tell us how awesome we are at what we do. <laughs> we try to be amazing at what we do. But this is really a time where this is a very intentional pause for us to dream up what's next. Um, and as we shape what's next, um, we would love for you to inform uh, some of that. And so tell us kind of what history story meant to you over the years. You could put that in the Facebook group. Um, you could send it directly to us via email, info at storygatherings.com. Just info at storygatherings.com. You guys are in touch on social media and email to the website. Let us know What has been some of your favorite moments? What has this community, this podcast, this conference, what has it meant to you? That'd be a fun way to close out this season. We might share some of those uh, across a variety of channels. But let's jump into some of these favorite moments. Um... Kate, I'm gonna let I was you go to first.
3: Say, probably <laughs> would be easiest. I've been around the longest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than me, uh, let's get you in here. What has been your favorite moment before we cut to the archives and bring this in? Set it up for us.
3: Okay, so I, I actually had to think about this. We, uh, you know, we got posed these questions a little ahead ahead of time, but I could probably pick a favorite moment from every single year. Um, but I think the big one that stands out for me was when Abigail Fuller. Um, brought Christina Martinez to the stage. And I want to say it was in 2018. Um, I don't know the exact year. Um, But Abigail is a director and directed an episode of Chef's Table where she brought in Christina Martinez, who was the focus of that specific episode. And Christina was an undocumented – is an undocumented worker um, from Mexico. And she lives in Philadelphia and she makes – this amazing food um, and she brought her on stage and the way that the room felt like I get chills about it right now thinking about it the way that it felt as the entire audience stood up and the entire audience just clapped and cheered for her and just her story and her tenacity and the way that she was you know aiming for more and more for her family and more for herself and I one of the amazing things I think that could probably be translated across all of the years is the way that story has held space for the margins, held space for people who felt marginalized, for anything that kind of landed in the margins. And and this was a special moment, and it's one that I'll honestly never forget.
0: Yeah, very cool. Super magical moment. So here we go. Let's roll that clip. Enjoy.
4: And now I wanna take that connection with uh, this amazing woman, Christina, one step further. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to Christina Martinez. Quiero.
0: What do you have to say to
5: that? What do you
6: have to say to
5: that? you for receiving me
6: here. that? What do you have to say
5: to you have to you
6: Yes.
0: <laughs> Obviously, this means they've been impacted by your story already, and it hasn't even aired on Netflix yet.
5: Obviamente, esto significa que ya han sido impactados por su historia, aunque todavía no se ha visto en vivo por Netflix.
6: Pues, well, yo les le agradezco mucho a la producción de Netflix, a la historia I want to
5: thank the Netflix production because they're telling my story and I know that it's going to impact a lot of people and impact their hearts.
0: Uh, Abby and I, we were talking earlier, we were doing a podcast interview backstage and we were just talking about um, what a risk this is, honestly, how much courage it must take to just, you know, to boldly volunteer and say, I'm willing to share this story, knowing what that could mean. Um, maybe she could speak a little bit to how she has faced that courage and what made her decide to allow her story to be shared.
5: Dice que Eli y estaban hablando hace poco en el podcast y hablaban sobre el riesgo que significa compartir su historia y que cómo se siente compartiendo eso, aunque sepa que es un riesgo.
6: Hablar con la verdad. Eh, bueno, la historia es hablar siempre con la verdad, uh, aunque duela, aunque muéramos diciendo la verdad. Porque hay mucha gente que tiene miedo de abrir su corazón, de abrir su, su casa para Contar las historias, que son miles y miles de historias cada día, en cada uno de nosotros.
5: This is a story that is true, and sharing the truth always changes hearts, and that's what we want to do with this story. Open our hearts, open our homes, to tell the story that we know that is going to impact many and change their lives
0: too. Uh, yes. Abby, you and I were talking earlier uh, just about how, you know, Chef's Table is basically the story of food. It's, you know, a story on a plate, essentially. Um, and it's obvious that there's something special about food. We are talking about that. It's like it has this magical quality to it. Um, do you have any thoughts you can share with us? What is it about food that is, you know, allowing... It, it, it reminds me because it's a lot like stories. They have this magical mm-hmm. quality to them. And there's so many different people here in this room who have different political opinions and worldviews and... And yet we're here because of this common, we see each other as human beings and storytellers first, right? Um, and that's what allows us to share this space and learn from, inspire each other. And food seems to have that similar quality to it. Uh, what is it, I, and maybe both of you can speak yeah. to this, what is it that makes food so magical?
4: Well, I'll start and then I'll, I'll, I'd love to hear Christina's response to that question. Um, but yeah, I've, I haven't met anyone who doesn't like a taco. So I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> And hers are the best. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what kind of we were hitting on earlier is that um, when, you, when you, the people that we profile on Chef's Table, we do so for a reason, because they have something to say. You know, it's not, a, we're not going to diners. It's not diners, drive-ins, and dives. We're, we're talking about people who have a story to tell and they do that on the plate. And so whether it's Anna Roche um, who is, or Dominique Krenn, who are like poets who are incorporating the, what is, inspires them from their land and their childhood or whether it's like Christina, who, who brings this amazing tradition. She's multi-generation of uh, making barbacoa. In her hometown is the capital of barbacoa. Everyone who lives there is part of the barbacoa industry. So making that dish in the, in the most typical, authentic way in Philadelphia is a little bit of her sharing her culture and saying, I am, I am the girl from Kapawak. And so, um, I think there's something really powerful that can happen when you tell your story on the plate.
6: La historia es que en cada taco que yo sirvo, espero encontrar a mi familia. Vuelta a estar unida, tal vez un día. Y cada gente que se sienta a mi mesa, Puedo compartir la unidad. No estoy viendo ni la raza, ni el color. No estoy con un estándar de solamente para la comunidad. Que todos están bienvenidos.
0: It's awesome to know we have so many Spanish speakers in the audience. That is amazing. Uh, but Leo, please help, help us out.
5: Um, In every taco I serve, I see the community. I see my family coming together in a table. And I can serve them and unite them in one table as a community and feel that unity that it's so needed and that I need in my family.
0: So good.
4: And, And she said, everyone is welcome. Todos bienvenidos. Everyone is welcome.
6: Pienso que todos los que estamos aquí reunidos usamos ustedes los medios de comunicación, del medio social.
5: I think we, everyone of you that's here um, uses social media to communicate.
6: Tenemos la responsabilidad, yo como chef, de dar de comer al cuerpo y el alma.
5: And we all have the responsibility to communicate. As a chef, I have the responsibility to connect and feed the uh, body and the soul.
6: Y como la de un mensaje, la real, duela.
5: And you as the media have the opportunity to share stories. Stories that are true and even though they hurt.
6: Porque con esas historias que ustedes van a escribir y a pintar y a iluminar, vamos a cambiar el mundo, tanto en la comida como en, en su trabajo que ustedes están haciendo. Y así podemos cambiar el sistema y podemos cambiar la historia. De nuestro mundo que estamos viviendo ahora.
5: and in that way we can change the world we can change the story the story that we're living right now
6: because the
5: way to change the word is in your hands and as it is in my hand to feed others in my kitchen
6: y tenemos que sonreír y luchar. Para cambiar el mundo.
5: And we have to smile and fight to change the world.
0: Yes. <laughs> my, uh, my final question for Christina was going to be if she has anything that she wants to say to this room, but that's kind of a mic drop moment right there, I think, so... Uh. <laughs> Dice yeah.
5: que la última pregunta <laughs> que tenía para usted um, era cómo quería que eso impactara la vida de otros y cambiar el mundo, pero como ya la respondió
4: usted.
0: Anything you want to tack on, Abby?
4: No, I'm just, uh, you know, it's been, a, you know, such an honor to work with Christina, and you know, I'm grateful um, to be able to, you know, be involved in this kind of impactful storytelling, and I think. Like she was saying, you know, the stories as the, all of the creatives in this room as the whole point of what I was trying to get across is that um, it's pretty powerful. Um, it's something that is more powerful than money, I think, you know, when you can affect people um, and you can change their hearts and minds. And so whether your medium is food or writing or, or painting, um, t- keep doing the great work.
0: <laughs> Amazing, right? <laughs> so good to go back and review that moment. I actually remember uh, we do this thing. Some of you guys may not know about it if you've been to the conference. We do this thing called the Story Family Dinner every single year. It's it's kind of on Thursday evening, so it's halfway through the conference. And while attendees are out meeting each other and hanging out around town, we get all of the speakers together around one big table and do a family-style meal just with each other. And people leave with lifelong friendships, collaborating on projects. It's been really cool. We often hear from speakers that it's the highlight of their experience of coming and being a part of this event. Um, And I'll never forget your interaction. I remember you walking away. Yeah, (laughs) I think it like that was so cool to meet them. And then she was like, if you're ever in Philadelphia, please come. And so we can share a meal together. And that was really special.
3: Yeah, I I remember her, uh, Christina stopped me as we were getting ready to head out of uh, the hotel, 21C Hotel. And she looked at me and she grabbed me by the shoulders and she said, what you've created is magic. And she just said, thank you for letting me be a part of magic. Um, and I'll never forget that. It it was really incredible. Also because I'm a huge fan of Chef Table, so it's kind of that <laughs> geeky, nerdy self.
0: Yeah, super cool. We've had a lot of amazing people at Story over the years. Thanks for sharing that moment, Kate. Yeah. Really appreciate that. Uh, Casey, how about you? Cause I think if I remember correctly, yours happened the next year. Yeah. I, think, I think Kate's right. It was 2018 that we did the chef's table moment on stage. And then in 2019, something really cool it was kind of a surprise moment happened. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah. I, um, am a huge musical theater fan. Uh, have been my whole life, did it all through high school, stage managed from the back, not on stage though. And, um, <laughs> And I was, I was volunteering at Merge in 2019, and we were just setting things up, getting ready for the next rush. And a friend of mine came, was sitting in the session and came running out, and she's like, you need to get in there right now. You're going to lose your mind. And I had no <laughs> idea what I was walking into, and I was like, okay. And I walked in, and um, y'all had brought Leslie Odom Jr. out on the stage. And I remember walking in and like just stopping in the back, and my mouth was agape. And then um, they're interviewing him, and he starts singing wait from it wait for it from hamilton and i immediately cried like i was just immediately <laughs> sobbing in the back because that was just like a core memory if you will um because i was such a huge hamilton fan at that point i had seen it like five or six times and so to hear him sing one of my favorite songs from the musical and just hear his story behind it and how his journey through the whole thing i was just sobbing in the back and that was that was definitely one of my favorite moments from story
0: Amazing! We love surprises. That story, <laughs> as you guys know, um, we love creating those moments. Every single year, I feel like there's one or two of those where it's like, "Hey, no one's going to see this coming," and you're like, "You have to understand how hard that is, mm-hmm. like, to keep that surprise." Because if we put Leslie Odom Jr. on the speaker lineup, how many extra people would register? Oh my probably gosh, so a bunch. Many. So, so,
2: so many. <laughs>
0: so, for us to have the discipline to be like, you know what? No, that'll be a cool moment, a cool surprise. Uh, it's really fun.
3: The only other thing that we did was with John. When we had John Foreman come, and it was in 2018, um, and we because we so badly didn't want anyone to know that he was there, we put a flamingo mask on him, and he did his sound check in a flamingo mask.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is funny because then there's a bunch of people that are like, wait, I know that voice. That is iconic. That's got to be John Foreman. Yeah. So we've had some iconic people. I think this moment needs no more introduction than the one we've already got it. Got it. Here is Susan Blackwell's. Uh, or at least a portion of an interview with the infamous and actually famous
3: <laughs> uh,
0: from Hamilton, Leslie Odom Jr.
3: You then say something in the book and I'm gonna, um, well, first let me ask you, you sang so many genius songs in Hamilton. Today, as of today, what's your favorite song that you sang in Hamilton? Please answer me in song. <laughs>
7: Um, I probably um probably uh I am the one thing in life I can control I am inimitable I am an original I'm not falling behind or running late You know those those Whoa. lyrics <laughs> Hold on now those lyrics, you know, they. But before, before they ministered to you guys, you know, those of you who've heard the album and and like the album, I'm sure there's somebody in here who's like, eh, you know, eh, I'm not into it. Uh, <laughs> there's got to be somebody that's like, eh, um, but um. Yeah, they ministered to me before they ministered to all you guys. You know, we had been, we'd, I'd done like a year and a half or so of development of that show and turned down work and stuff with no guarantees that they were going to keep me for the show or that, that, that people would like the show or anything. But, yeah, that, that song was really special to me. And I, and, I and, and there was something that, you know, it's called Wait For It. You know, yeah. it's called Wait For It. Even at the, even downtown at the public theater, I had friends that came to see the show, that were, like, with all, because the, the show didn't change much, but I promise you, I promise you, I had friends that came to see the show that were, like, you know, I wish she had more to do, you know, or, like, I wish, you know, I just, I wish you had a song, you know, like, I just really, really? wish you had, after all those songs, okay, I, okay. I promise you, and I, and I said, and I, wait for it, you know, there was something about, I knew when the album came out, and once people could, could digest it in, in, the, in, a, you know, in a personal sort of like, you know, um, small way, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Really, really yeah. get into what was happening, they would, they would understand what I knew yeah. from inside that music, so Wait For It is probably, probably my favorite.
3: I love that song, and I just, all of this is just for my personal benefit, so yeah. thank you so much. <laughs>
0: Good choice, Casey.
3: Thank
2: you.
0: Leslie's awesome. Have you seen Hamilton in person?
2: Yes, like six or seven times probably. I can't even count it.
0: So we were supposed to see it in New York one time. Uh, It was literally March of 2020. Horrible year. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible year. We were supposed – Kate and I were actually driving to Minnesota to drop the kids off. Um, and with her parents, which is where she's from, Minneapolis, Twin Cities area, we were driving up there to, to drop them off so we could go spend half the week in California doing some events. And then the other half of the week in New York doing some events had tickets to Hamilton. And then, of course, on our drive to Minnesota, the world literally fell apart within like 10 mm. hours and um, that. <laughs> so I still have not seen it in person. Thank, oh, thank so for good. the recordings. I can't wait. I can't wait. Speaking of COVID, COVID took its toll on live events, including Story Conference. We took a couple years off to go be virtual. And this was our first year back. And it was pretty special to be back in the same room and to close out this seven year chapter in the story of story and start dreaming about the next one. But Angie, this was your first year at it was Story. My first year. First year. So I got to jump in this whole experience. And so you're sort of forced to choose from a very limited amount, and yet you still have so much to choose from because so this year was so amazing. Yes. All right. Let me shut up and get out of the way. Talk to me. What was your What was one of your highlights from Story this year?
1: Um. So many highlights. I have done like like Casey. I've done events for my whole career and uh, events on a very different level. So I've I've done a dis- the level of excellence that I'm used to from an event perspective. Um stories right on up there. And it was such an honor to be part of that. And even joining this team and going into the story season, the theme had already been chosen before I joined the team. And the the theme of don't you know who you are was so resonant to even myself personally. But I think so many of us were coming out of the season of COVID and coming out of that, um, kind of that fog of, okay, let's reevaluate, let's revamp, let's figure this out. And so I think that theme resonated not only with myself, but with so many of the people. Um, and then, you know, being a Disney, a Disney girl, the, you know, we did this Neverland theme and kind of going back to that was so impactful. Um, and it's also fun to not only see the magic happen within the attendees and have the attendees experience this magic and feel the the different level of excellence, but also the speakers themselves. And I, it was so fun to be able to to be backstage and hear the camaraderie between the speakers. And there was, you know, the backstage at events is. The energy is always high. It's always buzzing. It's this. It's a different level of of fun and excitement. Um, it's hard
0: to put into words if no one has is. experienced it before. It I is. remember Casey on Slack and our team channel the other day. It was just like. I feel like I've got hit by a bus or something like that. And I was like, oh, no, are you getting sick? (laughs) It's like, no, event life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So there's like, but you only get that level of bone tired from the just sheer adrenaline and energy of just being back. And
1: joy. It's just a joy. It's just a different level. And and I think having the speakers experience that as well, um, my favorite kind of moment of awe was actually not my story personally, but it was one of our speakers, Todd Henry. Um,
0: oh man, I love this story. Yeah. So he
1: shared, <laughs> um, actually post-event, he shared on social media that he was getting ready to do actually a breakout talk. So he had done his main stage talk and then was getting ready to do um, one of his breakouts. And while the breakout was going on, he was they were testing audio and doing some different things. And so he all of a sudden heard... Um, Some notes playing and actually thought it was a recording. But what was actually happening on the main stage was we had a surprise uh, uh, performance from Tony Arada, who is a very large big deal songwriter here in Nashville, um, who has written all of Garth Brooks' top hits and has done a lot of amazing things and is kind of a staple in the songwriter country uh, space. And he unbeknownst to Todd Henry is, well, he's actually Todd Henry's like number one dream meet. Um <laughs> And so Todd had no idea that he was coming, but he thought it was actually a recording of yeah Tony singing the song. And so asked the audio guys, hey, is this, is this a recording? And the guy said, no, actually he's performing live on stage. And Todd shared that he instantly dropped whatever he was doing and ran to the main <laughs> stage and it got to see him. And he said, that was... I got to talk to him a little bit about it, and he said, I've met a lot of celebrities you know, working for, for NASA, and he said, I've gotten to meet a lot of amazing people, and he was the, my dream. He said that was a bucket list item for me. And um, so it was fun to be able to see the magic, not just from the audience perspective, but the speakers as well, getting so involved and so um, appreciative of the specialness that is story.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I love that moment. I got I uh, I remember being side stage when Tony Arrata was performing and I walked off as Todd was running up and he was like winded. He was just like, I was up in my breakout space and I thought, <laughs> that's weird. Someone's like covering a version of, of like it's actually Tony Arata's version of the dance. Erica Nichols, who is the general manager of the Bluebird Cafe, kind of this epic Mainstay here in Nashville. Hopefully it's a mainstay. Gosh, she's doing her little up experience. Everything around her is high rises now. And she's like, I'm holding on to this little piece of property to keep this magic alive. But I remember when Todd came running down and he's like, oh, it's actually Tony. And it's cool because these people have these heroes and their heroes typically are not the superstar celebrities the people behind making the magic happen um that was an amazing moment so i was like we don't have that moment captured uh, with todd but todd is an amazing communicator and so we wanted to um just kind of replay a clip from todd's talk and then maybe we can maybe we close out this episode with a clip from tony even singing the song Mm -hmm. that would be cool Um, that'd be a fun way to end this episode maybe we'll get to that uh, but this is a clip from Todd Henry's talk on stage at story in the session that he spoke in. And right after he delivered this talk, he ran up to prep for his, uh, breakout session that was happening immediately following only to come back sound, downstairs and hear from Tony. So, uh, amazing communicator, amazing guy, uh, bestselling author of multiple books, including the original accidental creative, um, and his latest book daily creative. Here's a clip from Todd Henry.
8: Oh, again, my brilliant friends. Um, I apologize for being just a few minutes late. I just got to meet one of my creative heroes, Mr. Tony Arata. I was standing in this room actually on this, on this stage and I heard like the waft of music. I'm like, oh, somebody's playing Tony Arada's version of the dance. Oh, that, how cool, that's neat that they're playing that. Like, no, he's on stage right now. I'm like, are you kidding me? So anyway, as a, an aspiring songwriter in the 90s, that was like, I mean, seriously, I like broke down, got my picture taken with a the whole thing, so. Um, Yeah, so. I believe the aim that we should have as creative pros for our team, our target, should be to be three things, prolific, brilliant, and healthy all at the same time. Prolific meaning we're doing a lot of work, brilliant meaning we're doing good work, and healthy meaning we're working sustainably. Not that everything is fine, we have all the space in the world, but that we're working in a sustainable way. I believe this is a good dashboard metric for us. It's easy to get two of these three right. Hard to get all three of them right at the same time. For example, we could be prolific, meaning we're doing a lot of work. We could be brilliant, meaning we're doing good work. But we miss on the prolific piece. We can't keep pace with everyone else. And there's a technical term for these people in teams, and it's fried. These are the walking zombies that haunt the hallways of our organizations because they haven't figured out how to do a lot of work, how to do good work, and how to do it sustainably. We have to do it, as professionals, creative professionals. We have to figure out How to work sustainably, how to sprint, and how to have alternating rhythms of sprinting and resting, sprinting and resting, or at least figure out some infrastructure to help us sustainably work. Of course, we could be healthy, meaning that we're working sustainably, and we could be brilliant, meaning we're doing good work, but we miss on the prolific piece. We're not able to keep pace with expectations, and these people and teams are just, we're unreliable. We can't be counted on to deliver when it matters most. And just to close the loop, of course, we could be prolific, meaning we're doing a lot of work, and we could be healthy, meaning we're working sustainably, but our work is terrible, it's awful. And there's a technical term for these people in teams and it's fired because you're not <laughs> gonna keep your job for very long if you're not producing consistently great work. So here's the first question I have for you right now. As you think about your team right now, where would you put your team on this matrix of prolific, brilliant, and healthy? Are you producing the quantity of work you should be, Are you producing the quality of work you should be and are you doing it sustainably? Or are you going through cycles of crash, burn, refresh, crash, burn, refresh? Here's the thing. You're not a machine, I'm not a machine. We're not wired to operate like machines. Eventually, if we try to operate like machines, we will wither on the vine. We will lose the prolific and the brilliant piece as well because we're not machines.
0: All right. Great guy. Todd is the real deal. If you're not familiar with his work, please check it out. His books are incredible. And he is amazing at serving storytellers and creators like you. He's really why – what keeps him going. He lives and breathes this stuff, uh, keeping you guys creating on a regular basis. Check out his stuff. That was Todd Henry. All right. I guess I have to pick a moment. It's going to be very obvious to the team, very obvious to many. And actually, when I asked Angie what her favorite moment was this year, she actually commented on this moment. I'm like, you can't take that. That's how story began. <laughs> and that's how we are going to end this episode. Um, many of you have heard the story of me speaking at a high school uh, in Michigan, a little over, gosh, 10, 12 years ago now. And this young lady that essentially came up um, and changed the course of my life. And Uh, I came out of this experience that you're about to hear about thinking, gosh, storytellers are really powerful, and if they are this powerful, then someone ought to be gathering them together to have a conversation about that collective power that they have, and no one was really doing it quite the way that I felt like it should be done or at least align with my creative vision around what's possible, and that led to the start of this chapter of story that many of you know about today, and so this year, I started dreaming up a way to close out this year's conference, and it wasn't from... You know, this massive celebrity, it wasn't from a big name speaker who was behind some celebrity project. Uh, It was a human being who played a role in the foundation um, of both how story began and the legacy of what story has meant to so many people in the future. Um, And her name is Jessica. I can't wait for you to hear her story and how it intersected with my story and how it is a part of our collective stories as storytellers together. So here's my favorite moment, the way we closed out the conference this year. Um, a little story for me, followed by an introduction of a young lady named Jessica Lynn. I'm just continually surprised by how many people have not heard the origin story of Story. Uh, would you like to hear it? I'd like to catch you guys up to speed. Many of you have heard this story before. Um, uh, a long, long time ago, back when I was still touring full-time, uh, to catch you up to speed a little bit, I, I started touring very young. When I was nine years old, I got a magic kit for Christmas from my grandmother. It's not at all what I asked for for Christmas that year. Uh, I thought magic tricks were dumb. A magician came to my school. Uh, it was super cheesy, and I was already trying to be cool enough that I was like, that was lame, right? Um, and so I just wasn't into magic, and for some reason, it wasn't even the main gift I got from my grandmother that year, but it was the gift, the only gift I remember. It was the gift clearly that I didn't want, but that I needed. Um, and. That little box of magic tricks reawakened my own wonder and my life that had been stomped and stuffed out of me by the bullies on the playground at school um, and by some of the darker chapters that came before nine years old. And so I start performing these magic tricks, I start touring a lot. By the time I was an early teenager, I was traveling all over the U.S. performing magic shows. I was on cruise ships as a teenager. um, And by 21, I'd made a million dollars doing magic shows. And by 22, I was bankrupt. Um, The short version of that story is uh, you grew up in a small town in a poor family, and you're like, "Ah, a million dollars, I'm going to escape my small town. And I moved to the big city of Nashville. (laughs) Uh, And uh, that was in 2005. Got married that year young to my amazing wife, Kate, who's been married for 17 years now. Um, And the next year, we had been so busy for a year keeping up with the Joneses and chasing the American dream, uh, we had plowed through a million dollars and then some. And I didn't know what to do with my life. I had more questions than answers, and so I just kept doing the only thing I knew how to do, which was magic shows. And I found myself at this school in Michigan doing a magic show. I walk in, the leader's like, Ah, oh, this man, it's so great to have you, you're the magician. And for some reason, and I can't recount the exact conversation word for word, but that leader said to me, Hey, like go out there and share your story. Don't just do magic tricks like Share some of your story. I've read your resume. You've got all these cool experiences. I bet that gifted you with some wisdom. Share some of that with these kids at this school. And at that moment, I was like, I don't know what you're asking me to be. Like, it sounds like a motivational speaker. And I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm an entertainer. I'm here to do magic tricks. And if I'm really honest with you guys, I didn't really want to be there that day. I was there to do magic tricks for students hoping they would, like, buy tickets to come to another show that we were doing uh, not that far away a little while later. The only thing I remember that day is getting out of a straitjacket. I held up this straitjacket and was like, hey. Um, and I, look, I remember looking over up against the gym wall, and that principal was like,
9: you got this, right?
0: I was <laughs> like, so I was like, I think I'm going to get out of this. Uh, and then I see the thumbs up, and I'm like, okay, I got to say something. What do I say? And I just went off script. And for the first time, I shared my story, much like Linda shared her story yesterday. And the only thing I could think about was the straitjacket that I'd just gotten out of and was like, I don't know what your straitjacket is, but we all have them. Here's some of my straitjackets. And I talked about abuse from my childhood, addiction that I struggled with as a teenager, to even that season of my life of having this mountain of a few hundred thousand dollars of really stupid, bad consumer debt, because I'd wasted a whole bunch of money and then some. And so I just simply said, I don't know what your straitjacket is. I don't have a lot of answers, but I'm still standing. And I want you to know there's always hope, so keep going. I thought it was awful. The students, there's like a splattering of applause, right? <laughs> all these students like file out of the gymnasium. A few people are like, "Hey, man, that was cool, magic dude," right? And I, they're all leaving. And there's this one young lady, and she starts making her way up towards me, and she's like, "Hey, I've got something for you." And I was like, "What is it?" And I held out my hands. She reaches into her pocket, holds her hand out. She drops a razor blade into my hand, and she said, "That's my straight jacket, and I don't want it anymore." and you're the first person to ever make me feel like maybe life matters." Um, And then we had a very brief exchange, she eventually walks away, and I became obsessed with trying to understand why would someone make those types of choices? Not because I was judging her, I had just never thought that, and even having a childhood filled with abuse never, never led me to think about harming myself in any form or fashion. But I became obsessed with trying to understand What makes human beings tick? What drives the choices that we make? What influences the way that we think about ourselves and about what's true and what's good and what's real? What drives human behavior? And that 10 years ago led me down the rabbit hole of research and what I discovered is you guys, storytellers, that Steve Jobs was indeed right, that storytellers are the most powerful people on the planet. If you wanna know what the future is gonna look like, go ask storytellers because you guys are the ones that are shaping it. So then I thought, well, gosh, if storytellers are this powerful, then someone ought to be gathering them together to have a conversation about this power because with great power comes great responsibility. And then I started bumping into these different storytellers and some of them were doing damage in the world to try to sell people the right pair of jeans or make sure their waist was the right size or make sure they were driving the right brand of car or bought their stuff from the right place. Simultaneously, other storytellers, like my friend Scott Harrison was raising gazillions of dollars to get clean water to communities around the world. Um, other people were shifting narratives that were literally sparking movements and, and changing the future. So I'm like, okay, storytellers are neither good or bad. It just depends on how they wield their power. And so we started thinking, how could we gather storytellers? And we found out that there were different people that were doing those things. And we were like, ah, but it needs to be done this way instead. Eventually in 2016, we start doing this conference. All because of the courage that someone had to be a little bit vulnerable and walk up to someone who had just shared their story for the first time and be courageous enough to drop a razor blade into my hand. Fast forward, seven years of story conferences. A Little over a year ago, to be honest with you, I didn't think much of it. I was at an event and I got some photos uh, from a photographer afterwards. And uh, there was a picture of me holding up a straight jacket. I'd just done a straight jacket escape a la Harry Houdini. I'm like, oh, that picture is cool. We need some content. I'll post that to Instagram. I'm laying in bed, typing out a caption. What do I say? Oh, yeah. Many of you have heard this story a while back. Here's the post. I'll never forget holding up a straitjacket after escaping from it and getting vulnerable with an audience for the first time. I opened up about the lies that entangled me for two decades. Many of you have heard the story of what happened next or read about it in my book. It was in a high school gym in Michigan. A girl came up to me with tears in her eyes, asking if she could give me something. She dropped a razor blade into my hands and said, that's my straitjacket. I don't want any more You're the first person ever made me feel like my life matters. 24 hours later, I get a DM from a young lady named Jessica Lynn. It says, I'm not sure if this is a coincidence or not. Maybe it's happened more than once, but I think I was that girl that you were referring to in your most recent post. In Michigan, at a school gym in 2012, I didn't realize that day was as impactful for you as it was for me. I gave you my razor blade. I never picked another one up. I graduated from high school, went to college, obtained my master's degree, and I'm now a child and family therapist. This memory still holds a huge place in my heart and has played a big role to where I am today in my life. And maybe I'm not the girl you're referring to, but that just means you've impacted others the way I was impacted, which was life changing. Um, Stories are powerful. Stories are powerful. Obviously, this gave us a chance to reconnect. I didn't know that she'd been following me on Instagram these ten whole years between the time of speaking at her school and sharing my story with vulnerability in 2012, giving her enough courage to share her story with vulnerability with me. And so after we reconnected, I was just like, hey, there's this conference, and I know you're in Michigan. Could you, like, zoom in to this conference? Um, And she said yes. And so we zoomed her into that conference, and that was two years ago. But this is story 2022. And she agreed to get on a flight. And she just landed last night. And I got to hug her for the first time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jessica. You good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Have a seat.
10: You got that short hair just for me.
0: Um, We did that last night just so I could go ahead and get all the emotions out Um, and so I'm going to try to hold this together. Um, I know you don't know this, Jessica, and this is, I hope, a way of complimenting you. Um, I know when I called you last week and was like, hey, I've got this crazy idea Uh, and your family probably was like, is this like a real thing? Are you being kidnapped? You're going to (laughs) Nashville to some mysterious place with some strangers Um, and you had to do some convincing. Um, For those of you who are new to story, this final session, this is is usually the time that we get to hear from someone who's like this epic guest, like celebrity who's accomplished all these amazing things. In my opinion, Jessica is this epic guest. And I, know, I know that you don't feel that way. You have so much humility about this. And I know there's a part of you that's just like, I still don't understand what's happening and this is real. And this, I'm sure this is taking as much courage now as it took in 2012. So let's just dive back into the story. And my hope is that by you guys hearing some of this story that you leave this conference compelled, with not just the power that stories have, but with the power that you have as storytellers to quite literally shape the future. And so let's examine this ripple effect as we walk through these extraordinary events. You are a senior in high school at the time, yeah? Correct. Yeah, let's talk about what life is like as a senior in high school. Before I came to your school, you didn't even know a magician was coming to school that day. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your story, what was going on.
10: Yeah. Um, high school was hard for me. I struggled to fit in a lot. I didn't really have, I had friends, didn't really have a core group to be with. Um, I tried to be involved in things. I wasn't athletic, so I wasn't into sports. Um, I danced, which was good for a creative outlet, but there was a lot of pressure to be this specific person as a dancer, and I was not that. Um, So, within trying different things, dabbling a little bit of everything, I just, somebody yesterday said that, I I don't remember how he said it, but it was something about being on an island with a bunch of misfit toys, which to me was like very profound because that's exactly how I felt. And I didn't have the words to explain that, I didn't have the emotional intelligence to understand why I felt the way I felt. Um, so I, you know, resorted to self-harming and isolation and I just, a long story short, high school sucked.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I
10: think being a girl in high school is difficult enough, let alone you know, social media impacting this mold that we're supposed to fit into and needing everything that's not that. So I just, again, struggled to fit in and
0: yeah.
10: felt isolated and yeah. pretty alone.
0: Yeah. Yesterday we were talking about the, the story as an operating system, that there's this narrative that drives all of our thinking and behavior, and these narratives came from different places. You mentioned social media, which at the time would have been what, Facebook or MySpace, uh, MySpace, you said earlier.
10: (laughs) Like the transition from MySpace to
0: Facebook. Yeah, so MySpace, Facebook. But even, and we we know this about social media these days, but like even back then, you were already feeling the pressure of like, hey, you're not enough the way that you are. You don't look the way the girls look on the front of the magazine covers. Um, And already we were starting to have filters on our phones to like touch up photos so we could feel confident about the stuff that we were posting, right? I just want to go back there. Like if you would just... Named some of those feelings, what did that feel like?
10: Um, I felt like I never measured up um, that I wasn't enough because I didn't look like these people or you know didn't fit that mold. Um, kind of empty, I guess. That's, yeah. what I'm, that's what's coming to my brain right now, yeah. just the lack of not being that.:
0: Yes. Yeah, which leads to isolation, yeah. ironically, because we're given these new tools to connect. And then we feel more lonely, ironically, mm-hmm. because of the comparison that pops up. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and like, those aren't stories. Th- those are stories that we make up, but they're stories that we make up that were planted in us. It's crazy, the stats. We take in four to 5,000 messages and stories a day as human beings. Some studies say as many as 10,000 messages a day. Um, and a lot of those messages were to say, here's what you should look like. Here's what kind of jeans you should wear. Here's what kind of car you should drive if you're a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't measure up, how are you then treated by other kids at your school?
10: I mean, I had, like I said, I had friends, but I didn't I didn't have a, a group. I didn't really fit into any of the cliques per se in high school. It was yeah. just kind of floating around from group to group and, you know, hey, I'm three this day. You guys are doing something. Let's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Do that, but I never—I mean—had anybody to really confide fully in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then a random magic dude comes to town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is super weird and gets out of a straitjacket. jacket. Um, what compelled you to walk up to me that day?
10: You know, I just felt like this. What I'm doing, the trajectory of you know what this could lead to was not serving me, and it didn't have a purpose, and I knew that in the grand scheme of things there was more to what I could be doing with my life. And again, senior in high school, kind of looking forward to the future of, hey, this small town is not gonna be what the rest of your life is, so, kind of making that mindset change and yeah. Looking less at the instant, yeah. you know, that moment, and looking more towards what does life have to offer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's that what if. It's the wonder switch is what I call it, right? It's that moment where you're given, you're given permission. I didn't understand that's what was happening at the time, but like my story and the willingness to share it, it gives people permission to believe in the possibility of a new story. But that still is incredibly hard for you uh, in that moment, right? It takes courage to go what if I could change my story? What if I could change the story? And so from that point forward, I'm assuming, just like you said in the DM, you literally dropped a raised one in my hand, never picked another one up. Yeah. Yes, and not only that, you decide I'm not just gonna change the story, I'm living, I'm going to play a role in changing the stories of other people. So you leave, you go to school. Yeah, so I
10: left my hometown before the summer was even over, after I graduated, Um, moved to the city, went to college three years at a community college, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to help people, um, which can look like a lot of different things, and I was originally trying to go into nursing. I'm not good at science, so that did not work out. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, stumbled upon a social work class within my community college, not even knowing what it was or what it looked like, and after kind of doing some research and realizing that, hey, I can help people this way. I graduated my associates and then went to the university for two years for my bachelor's. And then, after doing clinical work there, decided that I wanted to be doing the dirty work <laughs> of a therapist, and so then I completed my master's the year after that. And now I am in the role that I've been in for the last three years after I graduated and yeah.
0: And helping a lot of other yeah. young people yeah. navigate the same stuff that you were once navigating. Yeah. 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 Isn't it amazing? It's such a cool story. Um, I wanted you to meet her. I wanted you to hear her story and I wanted you to go back. I wanted you to go back to those moments. The younger version of you that was trying to make sense of your story. When I came to your school, I did not know who I was. Some people would have said, oh, he's the magician. I didn't know who I was. You were struggling to figure out who you were, how to fit in, how to connect with other people. And then somewhere along the way, you figured it out. You're still maybe figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out. It doesn't mean it's a clean cut process. You leave here and it's messy, but we find just enough confidence to take the next step in our story. Um, and that next step for you is to start impacting and influencing the stories of other people, many of whom were struggling with similar feelings to the, to the ones that you once felt. Um, Your willingness to be brave that day is why all of these people are sitting in this room. They did not know you, but this conference would not exist without you. The seven years and the ripple effect that these seven years have had would not have happened without that moment. That is the power that stories have. That is the ripple effect that storytellers and the work that you guys do can have. And so, I can't think of a better way to finish this conversation than for you to ask them for what you feel like the future needs. You're sitting in front of some of the most talented, most powerful storytellers in the world. Um, what is it that you feel like you would want them to know? And It could be something that you've learned from the experience of changing your own story. It could be something that you're like, I, I needed these types of stories when I was that senior in high school.
10: Yeah, so I think that validation can go a long way as far as letting people feel the way they feel. and working through that, as well as letting people know that they are enough. They don't have to fit a certain mold, they don't have to fit into a specific realm of people, regardless of who you are, what you look like, size, shape, color, you're enough. And what you hold is enough.
0: Yes. Yeah, so how about we just get rid of the veneer? Let's just stop with the fake stuff. Let's tell the real, true stories, and stories that hold space that give people permission to be who they really are. How's that sound? Yeah? Are you guys willing to help us create that world? Yes? I hope so. Anything else you'd like to say?
10: Other than thank you for this opportunity, I texted my sister today, I was like, I feel like a celebrity (laughs) because… Everybody that I've talked to has been like, oh, you're Jessica. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> like, my story has been told throughout the last 10 years without me even knowing it. And obviously been impacting a lot of people that I have not even realized. And so yeah. taking that into consideration when you called me, I was like, why not put up face to the story? And yeah,
0: it's still more courage. And um, up until two years ago, until you DM'd me... It, it was just a girl in Michigan. And then it became Jessica in Michigan. And now everyone has a face to the to Jessica in Michigan. Um, it's so cool. It's so cool. Sorry, Angie, I, I stole that moment from you.
1: That's okay. It's, it's <laughs> very well worth this, the, the, the thievery.
0: But I understand why it was your favorite part. A little more behind the scenes for everyone now that they've heard the story. Um, what was the moment where you realized like, oh, you guys haven't met? Was it that the the family dinner that yeah,
1: night yeah so i you you
0: started crying in person oh, you're for like sure. what's <laughs> happening i got to be yeah. filming this and yes. you are like reach for your book
1: i for so. sure um so i as we know i'm a people person and hearing this story it's every time i hear it i cry and it's powerful and it's amazing and our stories matter and i think her she had no idea the life change that sh- that that bravery um That her her bravery of being able to hand that over to Harris in that moment um, changed the course of so many people's lives because of the the decision she made. And so, you know, when Harris reached out to her to be part of story, um, it's a it was a whirlwind for her. And I got to spend a lot of time with her talking about it. And she, you know, she lives in a small town in Michigan. And the next day was her wedding shower. So we was it was this another amazing brave thing that she decided to get on a plane and come do this. And she didn't have a ton of information and was like, yeah, of of course I'll do this. Um, And it was just amazing to see, to, to have her, she was at, I got to sit next to her at the speaker's dinner and just talking to her, you know, I have a job because of her bravery. Every single person at that table at the speaker's dinner is, was there because of her bravery story conference happened because of her bravery. And it was just a really overwhelming experience for her to be able to see an entire, uh, you know, auditorium of people stood and clapped and celebrated her because of her bravery. And she stood on that stage and she just was like in awe of the fact that she's like, I didn't realize that act, what that act could do and what that did. And, you know, she got off the stage after she shared her story so willingly, um, and we had to get her right to the airport so she could get back to Michigan so she could get to her wedding shower <laughs> directly <laughs> do not ask. and she got to the gate and texted me I made it to the gate on time everything's great and she then she said what the heck just happened like <laughs> just this whirlwind of this experience yeah. but you know having having her celebrated was truly you know we stayed in touch even now and she'll she'll send me messages saying like I still think about you know how how amazing that is. And I said, Well, Story Conference is here because of you. And so it was really, truly an honor to be part of that.
0: Yeah. So cool. So cool. Um, yeah. And this, that ripple effect will continue on for years and years and years, regardless of what we do next. Um, so many moments to choose from. And it's like, it's really hard to pick, right? Like, you, uh, we could just do a Brad Montague like seven years of Brad Montague Talks (laughs) highlight episode. Um, We could do just like a Don Hahn or Linda Wolverton uh, series of highlights, right? There's so many of these magical moments that have been created on stage. It's really difficult to choose. But this was just a few of ours. Trust me, there were so many more. But I'm grateful for, gosh, 150 to 200 speakers now. That's crazy. Uh, Over seven years of events. Grateful for the hundreds now, the hundreds of volunteers that have helped us pull this off. And of course, an amazing team year after year. But we're mostly grateful for you guys, the people listening in, the people who are part of this community and the work that you're doing. Because unless you actually go out and do this stuff that we talk about, unless you learn to level up your storytelling skill sets, unless you learn to tell stories that matter. Like we're going to fail collectively at repainting and reshaping the future. And so we need you to tell stories that matter. We need you to go do the stuff that we inspire you to do. Because if you come and sit in a room for two days or you listen to this podcast week after week and you're like, oh, I'm super inspired, but you never do anything with it, then all of this work, all of the expense, all of the resources, it, it doesn't have an ROI. And we're not looking for the ROI that goes into our pockets. We're looking for the ROI in terms of a better future, a brighter world, and a culture that has shifted narratives. Um, And so please go do this stuff. It's been an honor to talk to you into this little microphone in this little studio so many times. And again, this is not the end. The, what was it Brad Montague said? This is not an ending. This is ascending, ascending. (laughs) yeah. Um, And so as, as cheesy as that sounds, it's so true. This is not an ending, this is ascending. And so while we take a break and prepare for our next season, go tell stories that matter please continue to keep those ratings and reviews coming in because this is not the end. And so as people discover the next season of this podcast, um, that makes our job so much easier. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. Harris at Astoria.com is my direct inbox. I answer it personally. I will reply personally. Harris at dot com. All right. You heard Angie talk about Todd Henry's story with Tony Arada, and then we played a clip of Todd's talk. But we know we want to hear that moment, and so let's close out this episode, this season, this chapter, uh, with a little bit of music and magic from the one and only Tony Arada for this song. And I'll always be grateful that it was a songwriter,
9: a storyteller that did it. A song called "The Dance." Looking back On the memory of The dance we shared Near the stars above For a moment All the world was right How could I have known That you'd ever say goodbye And now I'm glad I didn't know where it all would end, the way it all would go. Our lives are better left to chance. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. Holding you. I healed everything and for a moment wasn't neither the king but if I'd only known how the king would fall he now who's to say you knew I might have changed it all so now I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end. Where it all would go Our lives Are better left to chance I could have missed the pain But I'd have had to miss The dance Our lives Are better left to chance I could have missed the pain But I'd have had to miss the dance. Thank y'all so very much for your kindness and for having me here today. Thank y'all very much, thank you.